Welcome to the Tabletop Gaming Magazine podcast. I'm Chris Eggert, the editor of the magazine, uh, and today I'm joined by Ben Maddox. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I'm I'm living in Germany, which means uh, I'm less plaguey than those in the UK, it seems. Yes, that's it. It's not so jolly here, but we're all pretending it's not happening, basically. Right, that's that's, that's the best way to do it. That's Yes, it's the, fi- the final form of the stiff upper lip, I think. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> do your own research oh, no. is, is is the culmination of the British attitude of stiff upper lividness. So um, we we said we just said well, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about your recent series of recordings. Yeah, that's still ongoing. It's still ongoing. Thousand year old vampire series, which uh, we gave a, a must play in the magazine. I really like, uh, although I've only played a a little uh, sousson of it. Uh, and it's sort of a a bit of a like indie darling, really for sort right, of so- absolutely. solo journaling games. Uh, and you've done a really exciting series about it. Um, but before that, I hope it's exciting. I like it. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's some terrible accents in there. I do a bit of French. I do a bit of Scottish. They're both awful. I, I'm a massive fan of all of them. I think it's just, like it's, <laughs> the pitch of the whole thing just tickles me. So. Um, uh, but before we get to all that, I think we should just um, plug where people can go find it. If they think they're just um, knowing who you are and what it is already, that they could just go and listen to it right now. Uh, yes. where, how should they do that? What should they do? Plug everything. Go for it. Yeah, so I do the Five Games for Doomsday podcast where I it, – it's Desert Island Discs. I think the idea is off Desert Island Discs, basically. And <laughs> I put in a, a non-IP infringing sort of story around it about Doomsday. So that was the thing. And so basically what it is, in August, I usually take the month off. And I do a lot of my interviews for the sort of upcoming season of the show in August. And so I usually try and do a little RPG thing in august and it's usually just three or four episodes of something and then i go back to the normal podcast and a friend of mine bought me thousand year old vampire for my birthday and i thought this is perfect because i don't have to rope anyone else into doing it and i can just do it myself and i can do some writing and i love writing and all of that sort of stuff and yeah i i started doing it and then when i did it i realized wouldn't it be good if i did sort of dramatic readings with sound effects and music and all of that sort of stuff and so if you, if you want to listen to the show and it, it's you know it's a turns absurd and it turns silly but i think a, a lot of fun you go to five games for doomsday.com they're all there if you want to really if you want to just jump in with the game start at episode two because that's when i start playing episode one is where i Talk about the game, how to play the game, how to create your vampire. That is quite and useful. All of that though. sort I quite, of stuff. I, I found that quite interesting because it was like that sort of set up your your attitudes to the game a little bit. Yeah, as well. I quite like that. Um, but it was really interesting. I had a non-gamer friend listen to episode one and go, "Oh my god, it was so boring! You were just talking about games the whole time." So if if you if you don't like to hear rules explanations, leap on to to episode two. Yeah, and in it, I I sort of, uh, you know, I've developed some sort of ongoing jokes throughout the series, and I've written a couple of theme tunes on my guitar and all that sort of stuff, and I think it's, I think it's a, a cracking listen, and people who don't usually listen to my stuff have said to me, oh, this is, this is good, actually, it's entertaining, so hopefully you'll enjoy it. 
and hopefully they will. And that's uh, fivegamesfordoomsday.com. Is that Dot right? com, yeah. yeah. And you can find them all there. And Or if you go to, you know, all the all the podcast providing apps, just search for Five Games for Doomsday and you'll find it in amongst a myriad of shows you can listen to with people far more interesting than me doing most of the talking. <laughs> um, and they are very, so the interviews are very good as well. Uh, the, the whole, the whole show is great, but we're here, we're here to celebrate, um, being a vampire basically. I've got written down here that I should plug our, um, uh, Luda, so Ludological Lamentations column. Yeah, that was, that was my, that was my title. I don't usually do titles. I'm terrible at titles. I think that's quite good, isn't it? Ludological Lamentations. It is. Yeah, we went with it because I, I was sitting there thinking, how am I going to make this like an agony art column? How am I going <laughs> to, how am I going to, you know, what could I do for this? And then that came and I thought, oh, lovely. He's done it for me. <laughs> I guess we. I guess we should explain what it is before we we talk about. Yes, you're quite right. The, the devising of it. Um, so it, it's it's you answering very real questions from very real very people. real questions from mm. the very real public. Yeah, yeah. about um, all of the things that kind of uh, crawl under our skin about gaming. That are yeah. kind of the you so, you sort of it's somewhere between um, a series of kind of like. Uh, responses to uh, problems around gamesmanship to um, basic social interactions and psychology <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, all the things that kind of uh, get that and you kind of answer um, each problem with um, you kind of sort of prescribe a game almost like this is how you solve exactly yeah so it's yeah it's, it's, it's an agony aunt column in which you know the the very real people from the public the first the first issue was AP yeah. they were sat across from someone who halted every game with their AP. And so I try to, yeah, prescribe games that solve the particular problem. The latest one I've sent to you, but isn't out in the magazine yet, the the, the very real person from the very real public, yes. had the issue that there was a player that knew how to play games and was withholding, you know, sort of game-breaking strategies from mm. the other players to mercilessly beat them into the floor. So that was that was the latest pet peeve. Yeah, I although think... that's absolutely nothing to do with the person who wrote the letter in of course. It, no. That has happened to me before much to my chagrin. Uh, I liked your um I'm just going to spoil it now why not. Um I liked your recommendation of uh, La Havre. Uh, yeah. as a, as a, the and the, the reason that that solves it is because it's basically a perfect game. Right, exactly. Say, <laughs> you can't you can't tear it apart. It's not a it's not a game ball game, almost. Yeah, there's no game. There's no game breaking strategy because it's just so wonderfully put together that mm. your skill at that moment will achieve victory, and you'll never feel you never feel ripped off by that game. I think. Uh, with all that out of the way, we've done we've done the prelude, we've done that sort of stuff. We're going to say now is your your last chance. This is the spoiler alert section. Uh, maybe I'll put a siren in or something like that, or an alert sound. Probably not a siren. Um, that's it. That tells you that now you can stop listening if you want to go listen to the actual uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, but with like like all great literature, Chris, if uh, <laughs> you know, it's this isn't M Night Shyamalan stuff. You no, know, the spoilers not... <laughs> don't matter. You should appreciate the the flawless prose. That's right, but this is like reading the uh, the guide to a Shakespeare play before reading the actual play, and really, you should have your first your first experience should be uh, well, actually, I your first experience should be actually watching the play. To be honest, but um, <laughs> I, I pass my A levels by reading those Cliff Note books and then just cribbing them. So you know that, that's no problem. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, spoiler alert is over. Um, we're going to go straight into it now. And uh, Ben, you're going to tell me. Um, you've sort of told us what it is. Um, but uh, why? Why did? Why did you start start it up? Particularly. Well, yeah, because I, I needed something to do for my August section, and then I I read this and I thought this is brilliant. This is perfect. And I find writing horrendously difficult and because because of the process of drafting and redrafting right and so i started doing this and so basically thousand year old vampire so so my my last episode after my vampire has died and i haven't actually got to that bit yet but i've recorded this one is with the creator of the game and i was talking to him about how wonderful i thought the journaling aspect of the game was and he said i listened to your show and this is exactly what i didn't intend (laughs) <laughs> for when I was creating the game. I wanted it to be this very this very quick game where you wrote bullet points and you finished the game in three hours and it was this boo 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 and you've gone and you know completely although to be fair in the in the rule book he does have the journaling option so I'm not totally going against his wishes. But yeah his original intention was for it to be this very quick, very immediate storytelling thing, right? And I, yeah, as I said, I find writing really hard work. So my my, my stipulation was that I only have one draft. When I get the prompt in the rule book and I have to go and write the story, I have one draft. I don't redraft any of it. So I don't take, you know, three weeks to produce an episode. And that's been really liberating and really fun because you, I mean, if you were trying to plot out the story, I mean, it makes no sense, but but every individual sort of journal entry is, is sort of fresh and fun. And if I went back, I would fix it. I would fix the actual prose. But yeah, I think it, I think it works. And I think it's nice. Yeah, I think I think it's um, uh, it's like kind of it's kind of interesting because the, the way you do it is that you, you, so you'll um, you'll do the mechanical part, which is uh, to advance your story. You roll a couple of dice, you roll a d10 and a d6, I think. It's a d10, d6. Yeah. Subtract the d6 from the d10. Yeah, and then you you get a page or not a page, a um, entry to like respond to in the journal. Um, yeah. And uh, in doing that, you you then sort of tell the audience you kind of have an idea on the spot. Well, that's what it feels like. Maybe you maybe you go away and have a lie down and think about it. I don't know. Maybe no, I, I make it up on the spot. <laughs> yeah. You can sometimes, in some episodes, hear me really agonise about. Yeah. I've no bloody idea how to do this. You know, <laughs> which I really like. I really like that as part of the process because then because then you see like because that's the game being played, and then right. and then there's the bit where cut to the next scene where um you know we're suddenly introduced to uh, a bit of um, uh, foley music. Uh, yeah. But... Well, it, the thing is, I've heard that I, I listen to a few actual play podcasts, mm. right? And I realized when they're successful, so there are some that sort of really, that, that almost cut the playing of the game out, mm. right? And I find that they're less successful. Part of the actual play thing that is attractive is that you're you're launched into someone else's game. Mm. And so you're sort of playing it by proxy. So I, I, I really wanted to I, I really wanted to make sure that my thought process and how I came up with these ideas was apparent in the podcast. Because what it is is an actual play podcast. It's not a it's it's not a you know audio book, right? It's kind of like here's inspiration, then here's the piece of work. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like um uh I, I think of it as like Blake's flow chart. Or whatever you know, where where he talks about you know you have inspiration and that's that's you know like a dance, and then you try and write it down and um, 
uh, sorry, the, sorry, it's like an inspiration is like a music music from a cherub. By the time you've by the time you've written it down, it's something the cherub's gone and you've lost all that original spark. Right, but you've got something else instead. Yeah, it's super interesting, actually, that I have these ideas and these basic things to hang on. And then mm. when I actually come to writing, so so usually there is a, you know, writing is often about structure, especially, mm. you know, sort of when you're writing fiction-y type stuff. And it's about how, so you, you know, sort of from, you know what A to Z is, but you don't know how to sort of enter. Mm. And so a lot of it for me is like, okay, so I enter halfway through the story and then flash back, or suddenly there's this framing device that just occurred to me when I started typing on the keyboard. There was nothing to do with the original thought process because I knew the basic plot. But as with most writing, as with most great writing, and I'm certainly not putting myself (laughs) in that bracket, by the way, but, you know, with good writing, basic plot is almost inconsequential to what is laid around it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you sort of um, yes, you kind of restructure it based on what's needed to make it work at all. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and that's I, I I really like that. So, shall we talk about that that gamey part then? Because you, yeah. you you had one of my favorite early episodes is one where you get abs- you're absolutely enraged that you you have you rolled the dice and you haven't moved forward in terms of numbers. Right. In the <laughs> I did actually get pissed off. Sorry, am I allowed to say, am I allowed yeah, to say the are, P yeah. word on yeah. this? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, I was genuinely pissed off. Yeah, and it's like, I there's something in me that had like direct sympathy with that because it's like, I would I would feel that as well. But I wondered if you could unpack what what it was, that why the, a game that doesn't allow you to progress with numbers or whatever. So, so it's that thing, right? So, so, so the basic mechanic of the game is there's a whole sort of memory mechanic, which is really, really interesting. But the, mm. the basic mechanic of the game is that you roll two dice, a d10 and a d6. You subtract the six from the 10 and then you move forward or backwards that number of spaces. Right. And one episode I, I, I said, if anyone's listening to this, can you give me the stats on rolling a positive number on this, because I seem to roll the same. I seem to roll a three on the d6 and a three on the d10 a lot, you know. And they sent me the stats over Twitter, and it's overwhelmingly in favour of leaping forward. Yeah. <laughs> and the, but but you know, I seem to just stay on the same number or go backwards a lot. And it shouldn't matter. This game should be about the joy of creation. But the minute you stick numbers there and a, and a sense of forward progression, you get really disappointed if you don't leap forward after you've rolled the dice. You know, and and that's the beauty. That's that's the game aspect, I suppose. It's mm-hmm. about it's that wonderful thing of having an expectation, that expectation not being met, and then having to deal with the blowback from that. And 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 the point is, I think, you want the story to progress. And there is, I haven't read all the prompts, and I, I've read none of them in advance of where I am at the moment, because that would be spoilery for myself, I think. But I think as the numbers get higher in the book, it leads more towards your eventual demise, right? Mm. And so at the beginning, if you're not going forward much, you feel like in the story you're not going forward much. Mm. Now I'm, I'm quite sanguine about going backwards, but it, but in the beginning it was it was rather frustrating. I thought it was interesting because th- those times you repeated it, it's, it's clear that the second – because when you, when you hit the same number again, you do the second or third prompt for that. Yeah, there's that three number. prompts per number, and once you've done all three of them, then you, you just – 
add a plus one if you roll the dice and you end up on that prompt again. Yeah. So then those additional prompts, they felt they always felt like you were digging deeper. You're doing like a character development, basically, on the, on a similar theme. Right. That's what it felt like to me. Or that's maybe just something that comes from the way you dealt with it. Maybe that's just a coping mechanism, which is like, actually, this this doesn't take me anywhere, so I guess I'm just going to tell you more about myself. Or um, Yeah, well, the prompts, I mean, the prompts, each number, each one of the three prompts are sort of connected, right? So it's, you, you they, they have a thematic connection to each other. So it is about to that aspect of the, of the character. I mean, I just don't do a lot of plot. Plot isn't my focus. I think plot sort of happens organically hmm. through the decisions of the character. And I, I don't really worry about plot particularly, in this at least. No, absolutely not. Because um, as you say, it's, um, it's a role-playing game. Uh, plot right. is the usually it's the chaos that happens between characters and things the GM didn't expect. You know that's right um, uh, for the most part, anyway. In my experience, um, so it felt like progress to me listening to those things repeating anyway, because it is yeah it it was getting giving it was giving me more story. Um, so what do you what do you think of it as a um, as like a creative writing tool? It's it's a hard one, right? So. Well, in fact, we could broaden it if you like. What do you, what do you think about journaling games as creative writing tools at all? Because they're, they're so this a is weird the first. Place. This is the first journaling game I've played, hmm. and also, so I never came to Thousand Year Old Vampire as a as a creative writing tool. Hmm. That was never my intention for it. My intention was to make a series for my podcast, and I find writing, if writing is kind of purposeless. I find it very difficult to do, mm. right? So I, so in the for the magazine, the writing I do for the magazine, I'm very good at doing it far in advance because I'm being paid to do it, right? So there's a definite goal. Yeah. I'm a bit of a hack in that sense, and and so you know having to do it for a podcast and having a deadline, in that's that's my real creative inspiration. It, I, I haven't felt like it's particularly improved my writing or anything or, or taught me more about my craft. I still, I mean, I'm sure I haven't gone back. So it's all in one one sort of Google Doc, hmm. everything that I've written. And I, I may go back and sort of redraft it and release it as a sort of short story at some point or something. But I'm sure I would be absolutely horrified <laughs> to go back and actually read it without the sound effects to distract you from the, you know, the, the the incredibly clumsy prose. So as a creative writing tool, I don't know. My what what helps me write is deadlines and purpose behind my mm. writing. Yeah, that's interesting because I I think there is there's a whole there's a whole thing about writing for games, and I think as a general rule, it's bad because people haven't really worked it out for the most part. Sure. Uh, well, most people aren't writers, are they? Well, yes, exactly. It's game designers writing. Yeah. And also, the, you know, there's an imperative to pack a lot of information. I, I, I don't, I, I've always had an issue with text-heavy games. I'm not entirely sure they work particularly well. Arkham Horror LCG. Yes. Yeah. Outside of that, I think. Because I, I, yeah, I generally, I, I generally think it's kind of bad and i think so in the video game space i think the games that do it kind of natively are things like the dark souls games where actually you could play the games without knowing anything about the lore at all right um but um it's available to you in a way that is like native to the world um i think well, well fundamentally games are mechanical endeavors aren't they yeah yeah so you need great 
mechanics. And if if prose, which is a different medium altogether, I don't mm. think I don't think games are a sort of strictly speaking conventional narrative prose. I think RPGs mm. more, I guess. But the thing is, if if you have big blocks of prose that get in the way of the mechanics bouncing off each other and creating that great sort of you know hormonal jumble in your brain. Mm then it's getting in the way of the art form, right? It's like having a soundtrack that's just much too loud for a movie, right? Mm. So that's so music is one medium, film is another. Music can aid and, you know, can be instrumental to making a film great, but it can't be obtrusive. And in the same way, pros can't be obtrusive. They can't get in the way of the mechanics of the game, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, uh, that, that is why I like games like, um, Oath, which I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you're hot or cold on. I can't remember. Uh, uh, I mean, freezing is, is the word I would use. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was the way. But I, I think because it creates stories for me and the people I'm playing with um, in a way that has almost zero text. Because I hate reading at the game table as well. Because right. that's, that's, I, don't mind, I don't mind it in solo games and stuff like that because it's, it's closer to just reading a book that I'm playing or something you know yeah um, and that's why thousand year old vampire is fine because that's mm. what it is it's a solo experience right yeah you're not interrupting the flow of the game and you're not interrupting the flow of the game for everyone else around the table right yeah exactly um so in in terms of um the tools it gives you to tell stories though i think that memory aspect is maybe the most yeah, effect- the most effective part so there was a section, so spoilers here. Mm. So I decided, so I wrote a short story a few years ago about the Cathar heresy, which was a uh, which was a Christian heresy in the south of France that was mercilessly crushed by the Inquisition in the sort of mid-1200s. And they, they killed loads of people. And they had some sort of quirky beliefs about religion, essentially. Mm. They were Christian, but they, you know, they had some quirky beliefs about it. And... So I thought I would set my character as as a uh, as a Cathar, and so a lot of the Cathars back in that time were weavers. They sort of recruited very heavily around weavers, mm. and so there was a, a wonderful bit in in the podcast where you you know you have these memories, and once they get filled up, you have to bin them essentially, and so he had to bin his his human identity. He forgot who he was originally. Mm. And who he was originally was a weaver. And there was a scene where, you know, after this happened, there was a scene in his castle that he was walking around and he found a loom in the corner of the room and sat down and was just astonished that he just instinctively knew how to operate a loom and, and weave a wonderful piece of cloth. Because, of course... The knowledge of who he was had gone, but the muscle memory of how to operate this machine was still there. And it was a really nice, I think, a, a really nice highlight of what the memory mechanic in this game can do. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I, I think that is a really nice example of that. That, that is the example I was about to bring up, which because it does a. Um, it does a nice thing of um, dramatic irony, doesn't it? it right. Uh, as in, you you know more than the character, so you yeah. can reintroduce these things into their life in a way that is poignant because of their forgetting. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, and you you know you, you forget like entire characters who um, feel uh, kind of pivotal 
at the start right. of the story and they become nothing and i suppose that's part of the you know the part of the um experience generally of of the game is to try and remind you you know it's a, a memento mori thing or something like that you know that, that your character's going to last, but everyone else is going to wither around them, and it's very lonely. Um, and, and what's what's so wonderful, because I, I find it's sometimes necessary in narrative, but also sometimes very trite, is, you know, is Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun. Right. And what's so good about the fact that this is a game is that some things are Chekhov's gun, and mm-hmm. some things just aren't. Some things hold, and this is like life, right? Some things mm-hmm. hold massive significance for one journal entry and then are never heard of again yeah so there's and because of that gamey element there's this thing of yes some some things are they feel narratively tied story-wise when when they're as you say written up or performed and then um but because the game still treats them you know with the same it mechanically it treats it the same as a small wooden cube on a euro game yeah. board <laughs> you know like you that your skills you have to cross them out when they are used is that right yeah um and so you you sort of like you're giving away all these aspects of your character as you sort of whittle yourself down um and the game just demands that you throw something away and that's sort of right. quite and that, and that as a right writing experience i guess that's sort of the challenge isn't it yeah, and well, I mean, it's a big challenge. So, as a writer, you do this unconsciously. You you sort of have a future projection of what your character is going to do and who they're going to be, and then you get this prompt that's completely divergent. In one episode, I, you know, had to flee my castle and I ended up somewhere else. And then my next prompt says, "You have to flee." Yeah. So I done, you know, I, literally in prompts and i would never have done that if i was writing a conventional story but it was no. really nice i said okay how the hell do i do this yeah. now you know and yes. and so that you had to sorry is this the one where they um the, the character had to uh they fled to wales yeah to abergavenny or something like that that's near, right nearby uh, which I liked a lot because um, I've got friends who live there, so <laughs> I felt like I. Well, I just I, I looked <laughs> cities in mid Wales in yes. twelve hundred was what I put into Google, right? And Abergavenny came up. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, which I like a lot. And I, I was really looking forward to that character um, spending some time there. You know, and they were maybe... there for five minutes <laughs> before the, the, the townspeople. <laughs> they worked out. Canny the yeah. Welsh, Canny. Uh... Exactly. <laughs> And so you, you mentioned there, like the research element. You said that you obviously started from something you knew quite a lot about in the, the yeah. Cathars. Um, so um, are, are you bothering a lot with research, or are you just letting it flow quite naturally? So I want. So basically, I have a vague idea of the timeline, hmm. and so so in the latest episode, uh, Elizabeth I is in it. Yes. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about. So she she's talking to someone. And I wanted her to use a name. So I typed in, you know, who was her chief advisor? So Edward II is in one of the episodes mm-hmm. when there's a big battle. And so I, you know, I knew he was in England at this time. And I wanted him to fight on in a war. And I, I just typed in King of England, 1280. And oh, Edward II. And I just recently hiked Hadrian's Wall. And that's where he died. So that came into the story. And yeah, so I mean, I'm not super, I don't do super deep research, but for nice, I I also tend to leap to time periods I know a little bit about beforehand. So I don't have to. So so in the latest episode, you know, there's a big, there's a, a big guest star pops in. 
Yes. Yeah, and should, um, we talk, should we talk about that? Yeah. How, so I, you, I know how, a bit about that. So I was able to. You know, how did you get that to. booking? Uh, incredible. Incredible. I just phoned their agent and they yeah. were like, yeah. I mean, if you get around a Ouija board, yeah. I'm sure he'll, <laughs> sure he'll do it. So um, this is uh, an appearance from uh, Billy Shakes himself. That's right. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, we, we, we are in the spoiler section of this, I suppose. So uh, I can say you, your characters gained a hunch for themselves, haven't they? Yeah. So, <laughs> so my character was this young, virile sort of guy, and his 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 sire who is like the epitome of evil mm. and if you read in the story i mean I, I was being a bit mischievous so it turns out he was a pharaoh of rome and he wrote the new testament and <laughs> you know all of this sort of stuff you know and they end up in elizabeth's court and he's been my 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 vampire's been asleep for 300 years and as a result of that has ended up being hunched and mm. is the inspiration for caliban in the tempest but but what i was so you know being a sort of rampant lefty class war addict I, i'm very annoyed <laughs> by the historical theory that shakespeare didn't write his plays simply because he didn't go to oxford or cambridge and he was only grammar school educated right there is mm. there is such a thing as being an autodidact and if you if you sort of do textual analysis of all of the people they've suggested it is. Firstly, Shakespeare's much better. Secondly, Shakespeare is Shakespeare deals with so much different stuff. So I in one of the writing, in one of in one of the journal entries, I talk about Shakespeare talking not not about, you know, the sky and the heavens and but talking about the earth and the people. And that's kind of what Shakespeare does, right? Mm. Shakespeare's much more of an earthy writer than an ethereal writer. And he's he's often compared with Christopher Marlowe. And Christopher Marlowe's very different. If you read Marlowe and Shakespeare, they're very different. It's almost inconceivable that Marlowe could have written Shakespeare's work. And but I, I didn't want to have my character write Shakespeare's plays and, you know, feed into that myth. Mm. What I wanted him to be was Shakespeare's inspiration. And for Shakespeare to think, hmm, you know, <laughs> uh, this person who has lived throughout history will convince me to write. And I thought I thought that was fun. And, you know, Shakespeare, Shakespeare's initial inspiration is that they find the vampire diary in the you know, the local grammar school library because the, the sire of the vampire sneakily sneaks it into the library. So Shakespeare finds it and reads it and is completely fascinated, you know. Yeah, That's, it's um, I think it's a really nice conceit. Um, I've got a slightly unfair question here, which is, um, does this count as fan fiction? I mean, it is fan fiction, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, it's not going to descend into slash fiction, I don't no. think. But. <laughs> uh, I guess people have to look that up if they don't know what that is. Right. Uh, <laughs> I did a module about that at university, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's sort of it was, it was just one or two lectures, actually. But um, yeah, it's a very funny option. We had to uh, go hear about all that sort of stuff. It's quite funny. Um, so badly uh, written, so much of it. Yes. Um, and the goals of it are so far from. Actually, this might come back to our thing of like, is this a creative writing tool? In some ways. Yeah. I mean, are you familiar with the term shipping? Yeah, shipping, and um, what's the other one? Uh, is it Mary Sue? Is when you insert yourself. Is that what that is? Oh, is that is that what that's called? Yeah. Well, and then shipping is when you is that when you? <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. Uh, <laughs> when, you, <laughs> when you basically say, "I know two characters, two different things. What if they kissed?" 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what shipping is. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's just completely aspirational, right? Yeah. I, I listened to a wonderful podcast called the the QAA podcast, which is the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Yes, that's very good. I sorry, I do listen to it as well. <laughs> Yeah, and they did an episode on the John Locke conspiracy. Are you mm. familiar with this? Uh, I can't quite remember what it was gone. So the John Locke conspiracy is that people were convinced that the big reveal at the end of Sherlock is that Sherlock and Watson were going oh, to get yes, together. Sorry. sorry, yes, yes, I do and remember now. This was they, an infuriating episode to listen to. <laughs> yeah, and this was extreme shipping. Like, people were convinced, and they were they were doing that thing where they were seeing tweets from Mark Gatiss and things and doing all that sort of crazy baking that people do with conspiracy mm. theories, and they came up with this whole conspiracy that the, the BBC was this homophobic organisation that was trying to lock... Mark Gatiss down and all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, people were genuinely, you know, distraught when Sherlock came to an end and Sherlock and Watson hadn't got together, you know. Yeah. Because and so this, I mean, all of this fanfic, <laughs> and, you know, I, I don't care about meeting Shakespeare. I think he might be a good laugh, but I, I don't have the aspirational aspect of fanfiction, I guess. No, and I think it's, um, uh, I think... I think there's something similar in the kind of the way there's a structure to you know journaling games like this and right. the, and the fan fiction fiction thing because people who write fanfic end up writing a hundred thousand words a week or something of right. various characters kissing each other basically right. um, and um, from, from all different things and uh, that's as far as I'm aware that's it but to become that prolific they are just it's because they're they've got this structure around them of of lore and all sorts of other things that they can then as you say like bake a uh, <laughs> uh, bake a story out of I mean it's the tyranny of the empty page right so you know this is why you need structure this is why something like so I guess as a, as an aid to just creating anything writing wise that's near a vampire is great I I I'm not sure. So I don't like to write just for the sake of writing. I like to write with an end in mind, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so that I had a podcast. I, I'm not sure I would play this game just to play it. Mm -hmm. Because I had a podcast, it was a wonderful avenue, uh, you know, to play the game. Though I would recommend to anyone if if they, if they want to do some... The, the thing is, I've been writing now for sort of... Uh, 20 years and a lot of my early writing was completely purposeless i did it because i want to wanted to improve my writing yeah. and i'm at a place now where you know people sometimes give me money for it so that's more of my goal but yeah i mean especially if you're an aspiring writer and just feel like the empty page is completely tyrannizing you and freezing you then this this really helps just to get some words down on a page and i think that's always valuable yeah, I think I think that's right. Um, so I've got a couple more questions, and then I will let you sink off into the night. And you've alluded to this already, but um, how long do you think your character is going to last? Looking at what you've got left in your pockets, as it were. Uh, so I guess he's about he's about sort of five hundred years old now, mm. and I've really run out of stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> he might he might, but I mean, five hundred years has been like eight episodes. It's a lot yeah. of it's a lot of stuff. Um, so. I've got a feeling he's not long for this world. I don't think he'll come up to the present day. Yeah. But so, yeah, but I, I, someone suggested I read on Twitter, someone suggested you start the story today mm. and go a thousand years into the future, which sounds like a lot of fun, right? Yeah, then that's, that's going to be my other question. Is, are, are you going to play this again, do you think? 
Yeah, probably. Um, not for a while, I think, but I, I mm. certainly will. That that idea of sort of projecting a thousand years into the future might be loads of fun. Mm. And then you can do sort of satire. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for a bit, and then suddenly <laughs> everyone lives in jelly or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> and my vampire dies because he can't get his fangs through the sort of the, the aspic shell that everyone lives in. And what about, okay, okay, so... It's the future, right? You become a techno vampire somehow. Oh, right. Fangs replaced by, I don't know, Bluetooth. USB. Yes, yes. Dongles or something. Yes. Dongle was definitely the word I was going for, but I wasn't <laughs> sure what kind. I thought I was going to say Bluetooth dongle. Um, but <laughs> you, I'm sure there's no such thing as a USB dongle, and you can see how technically knowledgeable I am. I'm sure there's something like that. Um, is, I think every dongle is a USB dongle, isn't it? It's got, is to, it? it's got to go in somewhere. Well, because it's got a USB connection on it. I guess yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, eventually, well, yes, eventually the vampire is just the USB dongle <laughs> that people accidentally right. put into their computers <laughs> um, somehow. And uh, people uh, they get their files eaten. I don't know. It becomes a virus. I don't know. Maybe this is good. Maybe you end up with, uh, uh, I have no mouth, but I'm a scream sort of Yeah, thing. right, exactly. Uh, but it would be wonderful if the culmination of that is, you know, and this is an aspirational story, yeah. that the vampire dies because someone just eventually turns the internet off. Yes, I mean, that's... <laughs> and we come out blinking into the real world again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah out of, uh, what, Plato's cave, is it? Right, Who, who's exactly. cave is it? Uh, it's Plato's cave, yeah. yeah. Who owns this Well, cave? strictly speaking, strictly speaking, <laughs> it's Socrates' cave, because yeah. Socrates is telling the story. Yeah. But. Who wrote is he, then, But then, it's, isn't it, it's, they're always passing it on, aren't they? It's pass the parcel with the philosophers, isn't it? It's like, you know, my, my teacher said this. Yeah. For, for four books, and then whoever they taught wrote something about what they said. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone ever writes from Plato's point of view, though. No, that's interesting. Hey, that's the next uh, uh, 1K Vampire. Uh, oh yeah! Start, start off as Plato. Start off as Plato. <laughs> Plato the vampire, and then he and against against uh, his own advice, he stays in the cave where it's dark, uh, right until night time. <laughs> yeah, until night time, and then he comes out. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. That, on that um, very silly uh, note, I can say thank you very much for joining me and for taking yeah, us a little wander through. Everyone should go listen to the podcast on fivegamesfordoomsday.com dot uh, com or whatever podcatcher device you've got. Um, and then that's it. And I'll, I'm going to say goodbye. Unless you've got anything else that you'd like to add, yeah. Read the read the Agony Aunt column in the magazine. And if you have read the Agony Aunt column and you like it, I have. You know, it's the strange thing you see because it's a because it's a print thing. I have had literally. I don't know if anyone's reading it. I've literally no feedback. So <laughs> if you do, you I, I I haven't even seen it in the magazine. So do you? Do you put my Twitter handle or anything in in it? Uh, no, we put a. We can do that. Yes, we'll put that. We'll put it in the next one. How about that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you've read it and you like it, tweet at me and tell me what you think. I mean, even if you hate it, tweet at me. Any attention is is good. Yeah, yeah. Re- read that uh, at Ben uh, and uh, <laughs> fill his mentions with uh, lovely, lovely comments. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you.